Peter, he writes, he says, look, it would have been better to never be Christian than to become a Christian and keep living like you weren't. It would be better to not know this good news than to become a Christian and to keep acting like nothing should change about you. We often say and always will say here in this place, come as you are. What that means is where you've been does not determine how much you're loved. And where you're going doesn't change how much you're loved. God loves you exactly as you are. And he loves you way too much to keep you that way. See, God desires in each one of us to create a life of growth where we grow with him and we grow with others and we grow closer to his goodness and his kindness. And if we live following the ways of these false teachers who say, do whatever you please, it doesn't matter. If we live following these false teachers that say, I'm perfectly okay the way I am and never need to grow. If we live believing that our sensual passions or our money or a whole host of other things are good pursuits, we will miss out on what God has in store for us. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. We are going through the book of 2 Peter, and if you didn't get a chance to join us last week, I promise this book is actually filled with a lot of hope. But this chapter, chapter 2, is pretty rough. Peter paints a picture of false prophets teaching all kinds of terrible things that's leading people astray. So here in a moment, we're going to read through 2 Peter and dive into what does that mean and what does it mean for us. But first... Uh, For all of you who have kids here today, welcome and thank you for bringing your kids. On the second Sunday of every month, we keep everybody together as one family here because we think it's really healthy for kids to learn how to worship alongside of us, but it's also really good for us adults to get annoyed by kids. And what I mean by that is it's very likely that at some point my son will squawk some more and your kid might make a lot of noise too and that's okay. You see, sometimes when we remove kids from this gathering together for good purposes and to teach them, we forget that our gathering is as much about remembering God is faithful even to the next generation as it is about what we gain ourselves. So if you find yourself today annoyed by children, great, It means that God is faithful to keep teaching people this truth and his promises even well beyond you and me. So be it. Now, with 2 Peter, I'm going to read through the whole book and I invite you to follow along if you would like. Uh, You can follow along in the Bibles that are in front of you. If you're up on the balcony, there's some along the sides on the walls. You can follow along on your phone if you're joining us on live stream. I think you can follow along at thepointknox.com. I think Church Online has this there too. 
2 Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophet or teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, And if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of their wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Real quick, wouldn't it be easy to stop right there? Let's just stop and spend the whole rest of the time talking about God's judgment and his wrath. How many of you want that today? None of us really want to think about God as judge. We want to think of God as love and kindness and compassion but he's all of that and more. It continues, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. If you're not familiar with that story, it's great. God literally speaks through a donkey uh, to get a man to stop doing the wrong thing. So if he can do that, he can hopefully speak through you and me too. Then he continues, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, 
the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. What an exciting passage. See, in the context, we got to go back a little bit. Chapter one, just briefly, Peter's entire writing, this book, is centered around one purpose. Chapter one, verse 12, it says this, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He's just lifted out or listed out a series of qualities, virtue and self-control and love and steadfastness and godliness and knowledge, all these things that help us grow in who we are. See, for Peter, understanding who God is has to start with understanding what he's done and who he's made you and me. He says before that that we're partakers with the divine that God himself has given us everything that we can be like God. No, I don't mean like God that we will be all-powerful and all-knowing, but that God's spirit himself will dwell within us, that God will change us from the inside out, from people who do whatever we please to doing what pleases him. See, what pleases him is love and kindness and care for our neighbor. What pleases him is self-control and restraint to do what is right when we want to do what is wrong. Peter, he's writing to remind everybody this is what God is doing. He is making you new. So why go back to the old? He's changing you from the inside out. Why try to live like he's not? And he warns that there are many people who see the delay of Jesus' return as evidence that Jesus isn't coming back. See, this was about 30 years after Jesus rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. After Jesus left and empowered the church with the Holy Spirit, about 30 years later, many of them were suffering and dying, being beaten and imprisoned, believing that at any moment now, he's coming back. But imagine waiting any moment now, just one more day, one more day. And one more day becomes one more week, becomes one more month, becomes one more year. At some point you begin to wonder, at any moment, is he coming? And there were people who were speaking, because God is delayed, he's clearly not coming. And and Vicar Adam, he's going to share a lot more about that in chapter 3 next week. But in chapter two, Peter's warning about destructive people who will steal what God has done. People who will come to take all the good that God is doing in your life to change it into something less than good. False prophets, he calls them. Chapter two, verse one, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies Heresy is not a word we usually throw around too casually in conversation. Anybody called somebody a heretic this last week? No? You're missing out. The early church, 
took heresy to be really, really important. Here's what heresy means. Anything that is preached is true that is contrary to the gospel, that is against what is actually true. Now, here in the South, we use the word gospel to describe a lot of things, and sometimes what it describes looks very little like Jesus. So let me just clarify a little more. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that was proclaimed to the whole world, the good news that God himself has come down to this world to redeem everything. Everything that is fallen and broken, everything that brings pain and suffering, every tear that is shed, every mouth that is hungry, every bit of hurt, God has entered into to give himself unto death. A brutal death, a death of a criminal that you and I could in exchange have grace. Grace is a fancy church word that really just means we can be given a great gift we do not deserve. And into this gospel, there will be people who preach things contrary to it, heresy. And the early church took heresy so important, actually, that they went around and they would often debate with people and be like, that is not true. And if they found the person to be unwilling to repent, they would sometimes punch them in the face, right? Like, you guys have heard of St. Nicholas. He actually debated heretics and punched them in the face at one time. True story. Bring that up at Christmas time, okay? <laughs> says, look, there will be people among you who will secretly be teaching these things, and it's utterly destructive. I think the thing about people teaching heresy said it rarely is intentional, and it's rarely very noticeable. See, if I were to come up today and say something just blatantly wrong and untrue, like God is just a flying spaghetti monster, prove me otherwise, many of you would look at me and just say, what an idiot. But if I come up and I just subtly say things that sound good, but underneath aren't so good, it's easy to believe them. We have all kinds of things very similar 2,000 years later that people speak today that we don't actually want to believe. Things like, love is love. That sounds really good until we start to think about that. If all love is the exact same love, well then, does my love for tacos equate to my love for my wife? No, we have to have some differentiation in love. And so even these subtle things we say that we mean with good intention can lead us to believing things that actually aren't true. So as they come in and will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. See, for Peter, the greatest thing you could say against the gospel, this good news, was you could ultimately reject that they've been purchased with a price. We, we like to think about this, and maybe you've heard this here in the South, right? Freedom isn't free. And we talk about those who've given their lives to fight for and defend our freedom, and we talk about Jesus giving everything, and, and freedom isn't free. And yet we're tempted to believe it is. It doesn't cost me anything. Who am I hurting if I live this way? Specifically, the sinfulness they were living in was all kinds of drunkenness and greed and sexuality, sensuality, all sorts of sexual immorality. And I'm not going to spell out what that looks like here today. 
for several reasons, among them being we have lots of kids today. And also, he doesn't spell that out here. He just simply addresses it and says, this is prevalent. And because these things are prevalent, people are saying, look, does it really matter what I do as long as I'm not hurting anybody? You do you and I'll do me. It's okay. That's fundamentally denying that we have been purchased at a price. You see, if everything is okay for you and me to do, so long as nobody else gets hurt, we forget that already someone has gotten hurt. Willingly, we were purchased with a price. Not only this, but he uses the language of master and slave. We don't like to think about slavery in our culture much today because it has some really ugly connotations, and it should. For Peter, in slavery at this time, people who were in a great amount of debt sometimes voluntarily went into slavery. Sometimes when you're conquered in battle, instead of being slaughtered, you're given the option to become a slave. But slaves were supposed to be treated like members of the family being provided for in every way. He says, look, you were purchased by a master. You've been paid for. In fact, later when he talks about Paul, Paul in that same book in Romans that was referenced in that video, Paul says that we were either slave to sin or were slave to righteousness. There's no in between. We've been purchased with a price by God to be God's for God's sake. And yet we often live like it's no big deal. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. See, the truth is, it's really tempting when we forget that Jesus is coming back. And when we forget that we've been purchased with a price. And when we forget these virtues and values and things God has given to us to live as his people. And we think we can do as we please as long as we hurt nobody. The truth is we fall into all sorts of temptation and struggle. And it will always hurt somebody. He says, look, with these words, they exploit you for greed. We, we live in a culture today that has a lot of beef with the church. You ever met somebody who doesn't like the church? You ever met somebody who said, I really like Jesus, but I really don't like the church? Those Christians. And there's some good reason to it. See, we live in a culture today where oftentimes churches spend their money on things that aren't important. And I'm not saying it's not important to have lights on or have toilet paper on. But oftentimes we spend our money just frivolously because we want bigger budgets, bigger buildings, bigger all sorts of things and rarely are we investing in the people we claim to care about. This is a temptation in every place. And there's a temptation for pastors to say, well, I deserve more. And so the, the opposite temptation is equally true. In our greed, there's people who can easily look at the church and say, the church is really broken, and therefore I won't do anything. The church is really broken, and therefore I won't participate in giving. They don't need my money. Well, you're right. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. 
But the same temptation for the church to greed can be your temptation for withholding it. Just a thing to consider. He continues, and he says later, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. These are waterless springs. Verse 17, these are waterless springs and mists. See, this idea that we can do whatever we please will ultimately leave us really dry and really empty. Anybody ever been hiking and you need water and you think there's a water source just around the corner and it's not there? Your world is crumbling quick. It doesn't matter if you have plenty. The fear that what if there's not water when I need it? All of these false teachers teaching things that lead you to believe something other than Jesus, they're missing out. Like waterless streams, you're left empty and dry, wanting something more, something substantial. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Again, he comes back to this language of slavery. They're bound to corruption these false prophets and these false teachers. This is 2,000 years ago, and I would like to say that we've learned a lot in 2,000 years about identifying false prophets, right? And yet, today, we still have all sorts of pastors and church leaders and church organizations that teach all sorts of things that are contrary to the gospel. You can do whatever you like, it's okay. No, you can't. There's a lot of things that if you do them, It will hurt you and maybe hurt the people around you even if you don't notice. There's a lot of pastors today that really give us this example of greed, right? You look at their their personal budgets and the way they're living and this lavish lifestyle. Earlier today, I, I showed up and somebody said, oh, look, we're talking about Joel Osteen today. No, that's not my plan, but there's an example. Somebody who preaches, if only you believe enough, God will give you everything you want. That's simply not true. If you read in scripture, the more you believe, likely the harder it's going to be for you. Sorry, deal with it. I've said once that you will know that I'm preaching heresy when I tell you we as the church need a fancy jet. We don't need a fancy one. A basic one will work just fine. (laughs) But they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves. See, there's a temptation in speaking a different gospel to make God in our image, to say, look, God is really just like this, and we forget that he's so much more. He's really good here. Peter, in this in-between, he spells out three different instances where the people of God totally went astray, and God brought his judgment, where God brought his condemnation. And yet, each time, he provided one who was led out of that. Each time, he rescued those who were righteous. Peter's writing to encourage them. It may be really, really difficult to stand for what's true, but God will rescue you if you do. He's writing to encourage them. Look, others may say, what harm can come? History has proven harm will come. Hold to what's true. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Quick question for you. 
How many of you own a cell phone? How many of you could leave the cell phone off for 24 hours and not notice? Whew. Most of us would at least want to pick it up and go, oh yeah, I turned it off, I forgot. Or we'd be sitting there on the couch going, I really wonder what's happening on my Facebook. Good thing I have a tablet, right? Not that we're ever actually interested in what's on our Facebook, but we'll doom scroll anyway because why not? We are enslaved to whatever overpowers us. Whatever overcomes us, to that we are enslaved. It's really easy to look at other people's sin and say, well, I'm not like them. I don't do what they do, but what are you enslaved to? Is it your morning coffee? Imagine going without it for one day. Could you make it? Is it your phone? Is it your vices, like alcohol? or donuts, or a whole host of other things. These people, they're teaching you can do whatever you please, and yet the more they pursue whatever they please, the less they become like God. For if they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Peter, he writes, he says, look, it would have been better to never be Christian than to become a Christian and keep living like you weren't. It would be better to not know this good news than to become a Christian and to keep acting like nothing should change about you. We often say and always will say here in this place, come as you are. What that means is where you've been does not determine how much you're loved. And where you're going doesn't change how much you're loved. God loves you exactly as you are. And he loves you way too much to keep you that way. See, God desires in each one of us to create a life of growth where we grow with him and we grow with others and we grow closer to his goodness and his kindness. And if we live following the ways of these false teachers who say, do whatever you please, it doesn't matter. If we live following these false teachers that say, I'm perfectly okay the way I am and never need to grow. If we live believing that our sensual passions or our money, or a whole host of other things are good pursuits, we will miss out on what God has in store for us. But this is, once again, the good news for you and me. God hasn't waited for you to fix the mess. He has already entered in to all of our brokenness. And you're not too far gone for his love. So Peter's call is a reminder. Come back. To what is true. Come back to a God who has given everything for you. Come back to walking carefully in who you listen to and where you turn for your source of faith and information. Come back from these things that are leading you astray. For God is gracious. In fact, what I love about the examples he gives of Noah and Lot, two men who were rescued from God's judgment, both of those men, immediately after God rescues them, you know what they do? They go and they get really drunk. Something all throughout scripture that said, this is wrong. 
we should not be drunk on much wine. Both of them immediately after being rescued walk right back into sin. You and I will keep sinning, but his grace will always be enough. And he invites us to not listen to the lie that this is just who we are and who we'll be and to get complacent and comfortable there. He invites us not to just listen to the lie, Jesus isn't coming back, so it doesn't really matter. He says, no, because he came once, because he gave everything, we can follow him today. It'll be worth it. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are gracious. We thank you that you have called us to be careful who we listen to that there are those who will seek to lead us astray, to believe that we can do as we please with no consequence, that as long as nobody else is hurt, everything's okay. But God, just as we were once enslaved by such ideologies, by such corruption, we thank you that you have made us slaves to righteousness, bound to your goodness, bound to your grace and your forgiveness. We ask today that you would help us to hear what is true, to love you through whatever difficulties may come, to stand for what is right when everybody else tells us it's wrong. And God, we pray that your grace would be enough for us today, tomorrow, and every day as we walk in the newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. If you came prepared to give today and you prefer to give cash or check, there are popcorn buckets in the back that we will have available as you leave. You can put cash or check in those buckets along with one of those physical connect cards. If you're somebody who prefers to write things out and you want us to be praying for you, you can write a prayer request on those connect cards and we'll be praying for you every day this week. And if you are somebody who prefers the electronic mode of all things that we can do in this life, like an electronic uh, connect card or giving, you can give online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this, we don't get God's love, or we don't give to get God's love, but we give because we already have it. Thank you. This is part of the service where we get to respond to the questions you texted in. Before you... uh, share some of these questions though. We've got a question for you guys. Uh, We've been trying to plan and organize what this next season of the church looks like. And so we've got a really big important question. Can you put it up there? Uh, Awesome. This QR code, will you pull out your phones and scan this QR code and answer a really quick question? If we did an 11 o'clock midnight service for Christmas Eve, would you join us? That's it. All right. We would like to consider doing that. We've had a few people say, that'd be kind of neat to do, uh, but we don't want to do it if I'm going to be the only one here. So if you want to be there, just let us know, and uh, that'll help us make a decision, all right? So now with that, Adam, what kind of questions came in this morning? That would be awkward if you were here just standing by yourself at 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve. You know, last year for Christmas Eve, we had all that snow, and the first service, we had a lot of people, but the second service, uh, we actually sent a bunch of volunteers home, and there were, I think, like 10 of us which was still kind of cool. I really liked it. Um, And it was difficult getting home because of all that snow. So we're going to pray for uh, snow on Christmas morning, not Christmas day or Christmas Eve. All right. A total of three questions. Cool. In the order in which they were received. Excellent. Okay. First question says, so it's almost Thanksgiving. Does that mean some awesome 
country-style old-fashioned music soon. Yes. If you haven't been around the point for long, you may not know this. Uh, the last Sunday in November, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, is always our East Tennessee uh, Thanksgiving, where our music is a little more uh, East Tennessee, and it's always fun. And the week after that, the first Sunday in December, is our ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. So we really like to celebrate the season. It's going to be fun. Cool. Second question. It says, do you accept that people can have other beliefs and accept others don't believe in God? Yes. Not everybody believes like us, and not every belief is true. And it's not my job to start by telling you why you're wrong, but instead to show you why what we believe is true. And so we'll love and we'll serve and we'll care. And when the opportunity arises, we'll use words to teach, here's what we believe. And if people walk away believing different, that's okay. They don't need to believe what we believe for me to befriend them, to love them, to be with them through life. So, yeah. Great answer. Uh, The final question is a great question. It's a long question, so bear with me. It says, I was not raised as Lutheran and I need clarification. I believe Lutheran teaching is that grace is given freely to all regardless of our actions or beliefs, because even the action of accepting or receiving grace would give us some credit for Christ's gift. But still, it seems like we do need to do something. If we ignore God's teaching, won't there be punishment? Yes. Grace is freely given. It's not up to you to know or to comprehend. Um, So yes, while grace is freely given, grace isn't free. And so what we want to be careful of is we don't want to cheapen grace and say, because I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I please. Rather, it's because we're forgiven, we get to do something different. Because we're forgiven, we get to become a new kind of people. Not so that we get his forgiveness, but as a result of it. In the same way, because I'm married to my wife, Laura, I live differently. Because I am her husband, I act differently. And sometimes I get it really wrong and I need to ask for forgiveness. And she's gracious enough to give it to me each and every day I need it. Now there were a couple of questions that came in that you didn't mention. One of them came in last week uh, but was buried under a couple of other questions and so we missed it. And it is, uh, let me pull it up real quick. Um, We put it in the notes for the service so we wouldn't forget Can a person who is baptized still go to hell? Yes. We believe baptism is a gift of God's grace, but every one of us is capable of saying, I don't want that. I want to do it my way. So just because you're baptized, it doesn't mean you're going to be saved because you can walk away from it all. At the same time, if you're wondering, how do I know that I'm saved? Trust in the work that he's given, the promise of baptism. Say, because of that, I'm saved. All right. Now that leads a little bit into this question that was texted to me super late last night, almost early this morning. But I don't usually have my phone on me, so I didn't notice it until this morning. You ready? Do you think God sends atheists to hell? Like, is he offended by them? Personally, I don't think God sends atheists to hell because if someone across the world doesn't know I exist, I wouldn't be offended. Also, why would God send people to hell anyway? Isn't he a loving God? Why would he send people to be tortured if he is loving? And there's like seven or eight questions in there, so I'm only gonna answer them really briefly, and I would love to talk more with every one of you about this later. 
Here's the deal, hell is not the place God created to torture people. Hell was created for the punishment of the angels who walked away from God and have led this world in deception. And hell is also a place we could end up in. Not because God wants us to suffer. In fact, what you will share next week is that he's wanting all to be saved. But some of us don't want it. So I like to use this analogy. Consider this, if we're all drowning in a sea of sin, God comes along in a boat and he sees that we're drowning and he throws the life preserver, that is his son, Jesus, throws it on us and it lands perfectly on us, right? Nice and snug. But like the dork that I sometimes am, I fight and I flail and I say, I don't want this. And I get so caught up in my own needing to do it myself that I can push that off and say, not you, but me, God. Which is why we sing songs like, not I, but Christ through me. Like, I can't save myself, but he has. So I'm going to trust in that. And for my atheist friends and my Buddhist friends and my Muslim friends, I'm going to share with them this good news that can be known in creation. Like, have you ever gone out into the Smokies at this time of the year and seen the beauty of creation? If it doesn't point to something better than an accident, I don't know where you're look, what you're looking at. If it doesn't point to something bigger than yourself, maybe you're in the wrong Smokies. And so everybody should be able to see God through creation, and then we share which God is this God of creation through our words. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, this is our hope. So I will gladly share more about uh, hell because it's important. But know this, it wasn't created for you. God doesn't want you to go there, and he's provided a way out. It's that simple. And you shared before that God loves us enough to give us what we want, whether it be with him or without him. Yeah. If you don't want God, he's going to say, okay, it's a bad decision. Are you sure? But you can do it. That's all the questions. Cool. Awesome. Well, as always, you can text in your questions all week long. If you have my number, you can text me directly. I'll try to respond one-on-one. -on -one. Or you can say, let's get together for coffee or lunch. I would love to do that too. You can also text them into the same number you texted in this morning, which is found on thepointknox.com. However you text them in, no, we always try to respond believing that questions help us grow. And now, as you prepare to go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.